the camera at the bus stop Watches people from afar It is watching Mr. Manning in the chauffeur driven car With his cell phone and his laptop He is planning out the day Moving money around the world He makes things cram before midday There's a guy in Nike t-shirt Stands outside a betting shop He waits for it to open Before rushing to his job He's praying that a hustle win Odds to 8 to 1 He might pay off some interest Or buy his kids some fun Why can't we see Was it the old miner taking Tories down his mind? Or was it the bus guy trying to find his rhyme? 
Was it you? Putting your life will be good while you're lying in the morgue, covered in your blood, blood. There's a war going on. Hey, yeah. It's a war that we are Welcome to Moment of Rage with Jeremiah Harding. It is the 18th of July, 2017. And uh, Russia still hasn't invaded the U.S. <sighs> okay, so... Before I get fucking heavy, which I'm going to during this recording, because... I think the myth that the U.S. government, or government in general, for that matter, gives a shit about the safety and well-being of the people it supposedly protects is absurd. Um, but... I. Like I said, not going to get heavy quite yet. I had a very productive conversation on KLRN last week, uh, the preparation for which was part of the reason that I did not do Moment of Rage last week. And it was about basically anarchy versus conservatism, even though the... Um, the title sort of said something different. You know, I wasn't in charge of the recording. I can't really change that, but... Uh, if you want to go check that out, uh, I'll have a link in the description. Um, and it was based on a Twitter conversation that I uh, started by being incendiary toward Austin Peterson who's a libertarian candidate, and, well, okay, he's a Republican candidate now, he was a fake libertarian candidate back when he ran, uh, stealing other people's slogans, you know, in, in, in the loosest sense of the term, stealing, as I don't really believe in IP, um, and riding the thunder of the existing libertarian movement to basically act like it was his idea or whatever, but also to discredit the NAP, which is the non-aggression principle, basically says, don't initiate force. And some, so I was rather rude to him. He's a fucking public figure. Um, he, 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 I'm sure, expects that, that sort of thing, as do I. By the way, if anyone out there wants to be rude to me, go fucking for it. Um, it's called being able to hold your own on the internet, and if you can't, there's a block button. Um, 
but essentially uh, somebody didn't like that. So they decided to try and outrude me, and it started this huge thread where somebody got extremely offended and you know, said that I was an asshole and fucking, of course, I'm an asshole. I have no problem admitting that. Uh, but the thread turned into a conversation with a radio host who apparently the first guy who thought I was an asshole and probably still does, um, co-hosts with. And this radio host, uh, was willing to have me on to discuss anarchy and what it actually was instead of the whole, um sort of hostile environment that my Twitter conversations can foster. Uh, and it was very good conversation, um, which by conversation I mean mostly him giving me <laughs> essentially free reign to describe everything as I saw it. I'm sure there will be room for a conversation later, and uh, he says he's possibly going to discuss with his co-host a fucking live argument. Um yeah, among other things, but that's, you know, that's mostly just to try and get you all to go over there. I'll be uploading, uh, for the first time in a long time to Jeremiah Talks, a copy of this video, and then I'll be uh, uploading another video where I discuss how taxation is indeed theft, because apparently people don't get the memo or why anarchists have sent that particular memo out so many times. Um, but today, uh, oh, before, actually, let's file this away too, uh, be sure to check out Chain Reaction Podcast on YouTube, and also subscribe on Google Play and iTunes. We were on a two-week hiatus, but we'll be back, uh, this Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, doing, uh, video podcast thing. I think we're on, like, episode 32 or something like that. But go check that out if you're interested in what I have to say. Um, and also, I'll be moving from Teespring to Threadless. Because while they the shirts do run a little bit more, um, the, the cost is worth it for being able to have as wide a variety of merchandise and colors as I'd like. And also, the stores are kick-ass there. So... Um, I will see about including a link to my Threadless store in the description also. Um, and I think that's probably about it. <clears throat> and, um, the, the essential reason I wanted to get all that lighthearted stuff out of the way first is because this episode is not going to be light. Um, I've, I've hit at general points things that, you know, fucked up things that the U.S. government is doing. Um, but I've never really delved deeply into the subject. It's, it's always just sort of, um, it's always been sort of loosely related to the subject that day. And, yeah, Russia's in the news because fucking the media loves to keep the people distracted and keep them far away from any story that could change the paradigm, because as long as we're arguing about Russia, we're not going to be arguing about whether or not 
they should still be in Afghanistan, whether or not the U.S. government is going to honor this latest nuclear treaty from the U.N., um, which basically says you don't get to use them anymore, um, whoever you is, uh, because we're arguing about Russia. Um, you know, so Russia's in the news again. Trump Tower had a money launderer who was also Russian there during this secret meeting 20 days after inauguration or whatever. I think that was it. I, I'm sort of loosely recalling the story because I don't have it up on my screen right now. But the... I don't want to. I don't want to focus on things like that. Um, and I think that focusing on that plays directly into their hands. So I don't really appreciate focusing on that either. But what I will be doing is I'll be discussing the countless ways that the U.S. government, specifically. And all other governments, by extension, um, mistreat their supposed citizens they were supposedly uh, drafted to protect. The, um... <sighs> you know, because... Let's say that, that the U.S. government is totally right that all other nations have worse governments. That this is the ideal government, no matter what the CIA is doing or how much spying intelligence agencies are doing on us. <coughs> the U.S. government is still the best government. If, if Even if that's true, which it's fucking not, but giving them the temporary, much undeserved benefit of the doubt uh, that just means that everything I'm going to tell you today is worse elsewhere and that the world is irrevocably fucked if we don't step in and do something about it and by do something I don't mean tick boxes on a screen or on a ballot. I mean do something. Create alternatives to government structures. I mean oppose the existing system by spending an uncomfortable couple of hours every once in a while researching how fucked they are instead of just scrolling over and finding out, hey, what's R. Kelly doing? Um... Just cursory research on the bastards that are in control would lead you to believe that there is something amiss with the mom and pa and apple pie story of idealized, God-given America. But to separate that from the rest of what I need to say... The U.S. government, in my opinion, and with what I would consider historical fact, is worse than many other governments. 
because of the scope and scale of their power, because of who they know and which governments they essentially control to begin with, because of how many revolutions they can stage in other nations, like arming Mujahideen in, in, in the fucking... I think it was the 1979 to 1982 um, Soviet-Afghan conflict where they armed the Taliban and said, here, here's how to make IEDs. And suddenly there were suicide bombings and uh, a terrorist organization full of U.S. weapons called uh, Al-Qaeda. Wonder how that fucking happened. Um, but that's just their dealings with foreign nations. What they've done here is, in some ways, a shit ton worse. Because there's, like, so many things wrong conducted under the cover of darkness that have, after all plausible deniability and redacting and fucking record sanitization has been done, and after a certain amount of statute of limitations or whatever, or statute of people's ability to give a shit um, beyond their latest Instagram drama, um... There's suddenly all these documents. And these documents that they that they release or that are released, they suddenly come out and there's like, oh shit, a shit ton of things that the US government is doing that aren't reasonable or ethical. Nothing that a that a that a good human being would fucking remotely consent to. Oh, you entrust a very corrupt group of people with a fuck ton of power and there's corruption, murder, abuse, mutations, scandals. Who'd have thunk it? But not just going to scream that into a mic uh, like I sometimes get into a habit of doing. I'm going to read about some of them. And let's start off with the, you know, the what about the children story with number four out of the five eerie, conspiracy th eerie conspiracies theorists were right about all along on Cracked. Number four, the U.S. military stole dead babies to do experiments. This theory takes many forms, but all comes back to the idea that in some secret government lab, they're doing human experimentation without our knowledge. If it was an episode of the X-Files, it'd probably involve some shady agency secretly connect collecting DNA samples from the public to breed with aliens or create super soldiers or some shit. The reality? We'll have to disappoint you on the aliens and super soldiers, but the rest of it is almost weirder than fiction. Imagine you're a parent who lost an infant, then found out that after that death, 
A government agent sneaked in and stole parts from it for experimentation. That happened a lot. During the 1950s, the U.S. government was interested in how fallout from nuclear weapons would affect human bodies and whether nuclear testing would be a hazard to human health. A valid concern, gents, but they needed tissue samples from humans to test, and since most people would have objected strenuously to their bones being removed to test for the presence of radioactive isotopes, the government instead targeted a demographic that couldn't put up a fuss or, more importantly, vote. That's cracked phrasing, not mine. Dead bodies! So, the government went grave robbing. Here, we'll let one of the project's scientists, Dr. Willard Libby, explain. Human samples are of prime importance, and if anybody knows how to do a good job of body snatching, they will be really serving their country. That's a quote from a secret meeting in 1955, and he went on to point out that these corpses needed to be young. So, most of these bodies were recently deceased infants, often from other countries where that kind of thing was easier to get away with. Yes, consent was of no concern here. One mother named Jean Pritchard gave birth to a stillborn baby in 1957, asked for the body so she could dress it for a burial, and was refused. Turned out they were trying to hide the fact that they'd cut its legs off to hand them over for testing. The mission was dubbed Project Sunshine, presumably to mask the abject terror of robbing and maiming scores upon scores of baby corpses under a veil of cheerfulness. The Clinton administration's advisory committee dug up the details of the project as part of their mission to uncover ethical issues in past radiation experiments. The fact they managed to turn in a full report instead of a stained cocktail napkin with a what the hell past scribbled all over it remains a shining testament to the scientific method. They include a snippet of, uh, of the report. The Adelaide Advertiser, dated 27 June 2001, reported 115 Colin James. The body parts scandal, two decades of radiation tests that thousands of samples, including thyroid glands from South Australian children, had been tested in period between 1957 and 1978 for strontium-90 and cesium-137. It stated ashes from the bones were initially sent to Britain and the U.S. for analysis, but were retained in Australia after testing facilities became available in the 1960s. The same article reported that the Human Services Minister, Dean Brown, had stated that almost 1,000 child and adult specimens, including 284 baby hearts, were being stored in a basement room at the Women's and Children's Hospital in Adelaide. Mr. Dean stated that while the samples were generally taken in line with legal standards at the time, by today's standards, these practices are totally inappropriate and unacceptable. Although consent was given in some cases, in other cases it was clearly not given, he said. An autopsy did not require consent, and in other cases organs were taken for autopsy, but the relatives did not understand. In fact, some of the, those organs are held for a longer period. He indicated that the Department of Human Services would, quote, review state legislation, help develop national standards on organ removal and procedure, a standard autopsy consent form 
to ensure a similar situation did not arise again. Whoa! So they're harvesting babies. Hey, so... You know that thing where Planned Parenthood was selling baby parts? The U.S. government got them for free because they stole them from Australia. Ain't that grand. And they did it for like 20 years. Isn't that also grand? <sighs> so, that should give you an idea of the way the rest of the broadcast is going to be. Because... If you thought tinfoil hats were, were, were all you needed to survive a Moment of Rage episode, up your ante and get a Faraday cage. You're going to need to prevent a lot of microwaves from entering that brain. Anyway, that's just the first little sample of what I have in store for you this evening. I also have the Bohemian Grove which is something that you all should check out a little bit, you know, where they have uh, a fraternal order of th some of the most high-profile business people um, and the most corrupt motherfuckers out there. Uh, and they go into the middle of the woods and they have totally non-religious rituals that are totally just designed for theaters, some of which involve either a mock or possibly but not real, because they would never ever do that, human sacrifice in front of a giant owl statue. <laughs> Ain't that great? It's in Monte Rio. You know, you can't get anything corrupt in a place called Monte Rio... California. And you can't get anything corrupt from an organization of people that say they go into the middle of the woods in the middle of the night to revere the redwoods. And it's not like any policy would be planned when you get a lot of the hard-hitting people in July to be in the center of nowhere, California, near a giant owl statue doing totally not real human sacrifices every July. <sighs> Just, there's, there's a Washington Post blog post about these people. It includes footage from Alex Jones infiltrating the Bohemian Grove when he was told, weaving spiders, come not here. So, obviously, you know, business is to be left outside. Because they would never do anything business-related while they're gathered in the middle of a secret uh, territory that nobody is allowed to go to unless they're invited. Nah! We're supposed to believe that shit, too. And it's an extension, if I recall correctly, of the Skull and Bone Society, which is Yale um, fraternity that has spawned countless corrupt motherfuckers um, and has orders that continue outside of the fraternity. 
great shit. And that's just the tip. Because theoretically, they are worshipping Moloch in the Bohemian Grove. And children might be at danger, but of course the U.S. government would never authorize putting children in danger or, you know, harvesting their body parts. But if that's not enough to convince you that the U.S. government doesn't really give a shit about its citizens um, and will actively go to suppress their political speech or make them a more passive sheep so that they can continue to be a tax cattle, then brace for this. Because there is a little-told story, which is unfortunately a little-told, where Philadelphia police dropped a bomb in the middle of a neighborhood. There's, an, there's a documentary of this incident where the... Uh, we'll just watch the documentary, but I'll give you the teaser, courtesy Mashable.com, that will give you the starting idea of how fucked up this is. Um, just watch Let It Burn. Uh, if you if you want to get a picture of it, a broader picture than I'm going to give you. This is all going to be rapid fire shortly. Um, drop a bomb on a residential area? I never in my life heard of that. It's like Vietnam, Steve Harmon, neighborhood resident. The Black Liberation Group MOVE was founded in 1972 by John Africa, born Vincent Leaphart, living communally in a house in West Philadelphia. Members of MOVE all changed their surnames to Africa, shunned modern technology and materialism, and preached support of animal rights, revolution, and a return to nature. Their first conflict with law enforcement occurred in 1978 when police tried to evict them from their house. A firefight erupted, killing one police officer and injuring several more on both sides. Nine members of the group were sentenced to 100 years in prison for the officer's killing. In 1981, the group moved to a row house in Osage, on Osage Avenue. The city administration discounted negotiation as a method of resolving the problem. Any attempted negotiations were haphazard and uncoordinated. Philadelphia Special Investigation Commission, March 6, 1986. At their new headquarters, MOVE members boarded up the windows, built a fortified rooftop bunker, and broadcasted profanity-laced political lectures with bullhorns at all hours drawing complaints from neighbors. Members continue to rack up violations from contempt of court to illegal possession of firearms to the point where they were considered a terrorist organization by the mayor and police commissioner. On the morning of May 13, 1985, the police moved on the house. Arriving with arrest warrants for four residents of the house, the police ordered them to come out peacefully. Before long, shooting began. In response to gunfire from inside the house, more than 500 police officers discharged over 10,000 rounds of ammunition in 90 minutes. 
The house was hit with high-pressure fire hoses and tear gas, but MOVE did not surrender. Despite pleas for de-escalation to the mayor from City Council President Joseph Coleman and State Senator Hardy Williams, Police Commissioner Gregory Sambor gave the order to bomb the house. The mayor abdicated his responsibilities as a leader when, after midday, he permitted a clearly failed operation to continue, which posed great risk to life and property. At 5.28 p.m., a satchel bomb composed of FBI-supplied C4 and Torvex TR2, a dynamite substitute, on a 45-second timer was dropped from a state police helicopter detonating near the fortified pillbox on the roof of the house. Within minutes, a fire had consumed the roof and begun to spread. Firefighters, already fearful of being shot at by MOVE members, were told to let the fire burn. The blaze raged out of control, spreading down the block of row houses and hopping the narrow streets. Ramona Africa bombing survivor says, We tried to get our children, our animals, and ourselves out of that blazing inferno, and as the cops saw us coming out, they opened fire. The plan to bomb the move house was reckless, ill-conceived, and hastily approved. Dropping a bomb on an occupied row house was unconscionable and should have been rejected out of hand. Philadelphia Special Investigation Commission, March 6, 1986. By the time it was extinguished, four hours later, 61 houses had been razed. Apart from a woman and a 13-year-old boy who escaped when the fire started, everyone in the MOVE house was dead. The 11 deaths included MOVE founder John Africa, five adults, and five children between the ages of 7 and 13. Despite investigations and formal apologies, neither the mayor nor the police commissioner nor anyone else from the city was criminally charged. They can bomb your neighborhoods and get away with it. Whether you agree with these people's politics or tactics or not, bombing them with an explosive that also bombed the rest of their fucking neighborhood should throw up red fucking flags in your brain about the, the motives and capabilities of the U.S. governments to commit atrocious acts and not pay the price in the same way that any street-level criminal would. Because they run the criminal prosecution cabals and they can run an investigation and find out, hey, we acted totally within the limits of our power by bombing people that we supposedly swore to serve and protect. You see where I'm going with this? And that's just really light in there really light because guess what the cia tested lsd in the new york city subway system this is from a new york post article written by philip messing on october 28 1953 frank olson a bland seemingly innocuous 42 year old government scientist plunged to his death from the roof 
from the room 1018A in New York's Statler Hotel, landing on a 7th Avenue sidewalk just opposite Penn Station. Olson's ignominious end was written off as an unremarkable suicide of a depressed government bureaucrat who came to New York City seeking psychiatric treatment, so it attracted scant attention at the time. But 22 years later, the Rockefeller Commission report was released detailing a litany of domestic abuses committed by the CIA. The ugly truth emerged. Olson's death was the result of his having been surreptitiously dosed with LSD days earlier by his colleagues. The shocking disclosure led to President Gerald Ford's apology to Olson's widow and his three children who accepted a $750,000 civil payment for his wrongful death. But the belated 1975 mea culpa failed to close a tawdry chapter of our nation's past. Instead, it generated more interest into a series of wildly implausible mind control experiments on an unsuspecting populace over three decades. Much of this plot unfolded here in New York, according to H.P. Abarelli Jr., author of A Terrible Mistake, The Murder of Frank Olson and the CIA's Secret Cold War Experiments. Read that, by the way. For me, in countless ways, the Olson story is a New York City story, said Abarelli, a former lawyer in the Carter White House who has written extensively about biological warfare and intelligence matters. The CIA itself was created and initially composed of wealthy men who came from Wall Street and New York City law firms. Olson was a research scientist assigned to the CIA Special Operations Division at Fort Detrick, Maryland, who was performing top-secret research related to LSD-25, a powerful new drug whose properties were barely understood. Could psychedelic drugs be used to get enemy combatants to lay down their arms or work as a truth serum on reluctant prisoners? Abarelli spent more than a decade sifting through more than 100,000 pages of government documents and his most startling chestnut might be this little claim that the intelligence community conducted aerosol tests of LSD inside the New York City subway system. The experiment was pretty shocking. Shocking that the CIA and the Army would release LSD like that among innocent, unwitting folks, Abarelli told the Post. A declassified FBI report from the Baltimore field office dated August 25, 1950 provides him tantalizing support for the claim. The BW, Biological Weapon Experiments, to be conducted by representatives of the Department of the Army and the New York subway system in September 1950 have been indefinitely postponed, states the memo, a copy of which the author provided to the Post. An Olson colleague, Dr. Henry Egelsbach, confirmed to Abarelli that the LSD subway test did in fact occur in November 1950, albeit on a smaller scale than first planned. Little, however, is known about the test, what line, how many people, and what happened. The purported experiment occurred nearly a year before a more infamous August 1951 incident in the small town of Pont Saint-Esprit in the south of France when the citizens were hit by a case of mass insanity. Over a two-day period, some 250 residents sought hospital care after hallucinating for no apparent reason. 32 patients were hauled off to mental asylums. Four died. Mercury poisoning or ergot, a fungus of rye bread, was cited as the culprit, but ergot is also one of the central ingredients of LSD. And curiously enough, Olson and his government pals were in France when the craziness erupted. Abarelli also introduces us to George Hunter White, a ne'er-do-well agent for the Bureau of Narcotics, 
a forerunner to the current Drug Enforcement Administration. He was on a special contract with the CIA. It was White, Olson's colleague Eaglesback contends who was behind the November 1950 New York City subway test, as well as a second test two years later. Alberelli claims, George White in 1952 did release a small amount of aerosol LSD in a subway car. He was pleased with the results as indicated in his diary, but his reports on the incident were destroyed by the CIA in 1973, he says. But with the CIA's most important records on such matters destroyed or cloaked in national security claims, it remains difficult to prove whether these purported subway tests occurred. Still, Abarelli's portrait of White, a gruff, chain-smoking, gin-swilling reprobate with an occasional fondness for opium hookers and, and mafiosi drug dealers, makes it apparent that if anyone could have tested LSD on an unsuspecting public, it would be him. White had to set up a CIA safe house at 81 Belford Street in Greenwich Village comprised of two apartments conjoined with a hidden two-way mirror and doorway. Posing as a seaman or artist, he would regularly recruit strangers for social gatherings there where they would be piled with, or plied with psych, psychedelic drugs, often without their knowledge. The aim was to see if White could successfully extract information from them and to assess those results, according to one CIA document. In between home experimenting, White was well known as a carouser. The safe house was down the block from Chumley's, a former speakeasy and now defunct bar where White once took James Jesus Angleton, the former CIA head. The good news for people of New York was when they stumbled out of Chumley's, it was a short walk home, and they didn't need to ride the subway to get there. New York Post. Did the CIA test LSD in the New York City subway system? Fairly mainstream sources here. So, if you, if you need that sort of thing, you have it. <laughs> and, you know, just to show you it's possible, here's a tiny little blog post from ABC News. Canadian students rescued from mass hypnosis. Canadian students at an all-girls private school had to be rescued from a mass hypnosis, which lasted for five hours in one case, when a hypnotist in training had to call his mentor for help after a performance. A number of 12- to 13-year-old girls at the Collège de Sacré-Cœur Sacré School in Sherbrooke, Quebec, had attended at an end of the school performance by the hypnotist Maxime Nadeau last week. I'm sure I'm pronouncing those those names wrong. You know, if you want to criticize my French, you can definitely go ahead. I don't speak it. Several volunteers were taken up on stage to be part of the show while officers in the audience watched. But when the show ended, several sorry, while others in the audience watched. But when the show ended, several audience members were left hypnotized and in need of emergency intervention. There were a couple of students who had their heads lying on the table, and there were others who you could tell were in trance. Nadeau's mentor and trainer, Richard Whitebread, told the Canadian Broadcasting Corp. Those, the eyes were open and there was nobody home. Nadeau said he wasn't panicked as he tried everything possible to snap the girls out of hypnosis. Being in a trance is a state of well-being, Nadeau explained. I wasn't stressed. I knew they would get out of it. He told the CBC that he eventually had to call Whitbread, who had to travel an hour to the school. 
Whitbread used a technique in which he rehypnotized the girls and then brought them out using a stern voice. He said that because Nadu was a young, attractive man, the young girls were perhaps too willing to follow his instructions. The girls told the CBC that they fell out of the room, felt out of the room while hypnotized. I don't know how to explain it, student Emily Bertrand said. It's like you're no longer there. You're spaced out. And th this wasn't the government doing it here, I don't think. Just to say that it's possible to do, you know? Just to really drive that point home. And, you know, really wrap your mind around that. The government's been testing mind control, and an amateur fucking dickhead can accidentally leave a bunch of girls hypnotized because, whoops, I forgot the safe word. Or whatever. The... The fact is that it's really easy to control the human brain given the right inputs, and the government would be all too happy to do that. To get people to lay down their arms, man. It's just a hippie experiment. No, it's to control people. It's to keep them under the thumb. As evidenced by this idea, uh, which you can get in an article, Eight Conspiracy Theories and What They Get Right on Mental Floss. Um, and the first conspiracy that, that I really wanted to touch on, the government is trying to control my mind. The truth, the government has, has invested millions in mind control technologies. Who doesn't want a telepathic ray gun? The U.S. Army sure does. It's already researched a device that could beam words into your skull, according to the 1998 report, Bioeffects of Selected Non-Lethal Weapons. The report says that with the help of special microwaves, this technology could be developed to the point where words could be transmitted to be heard like the spoken word, except that it could only be heard within a person's head. The device could communicate with hostages and could facilitate a private message transmission. In 2002, the Air Force Research Laboratory patented a similar microwave device. Representative Dennis Kucinich seemed concerned because one year earlier he proposed the Space Preservation Act, which called for a ban of all psychotronic weapons. It didn't pass! The mind games don't stop there. The CIA's massive mind control experiment, Project MKUltra, remains the pet project of paranoid people everywhere. Beginning in the early 1950s, the CIA started asking strange questions in memos like, can we get control of an individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will and even against fundamental laws of nature such as self-preservation? In April 1953, the CIA decided to find out. The agency wanted to develop drugs that could manip manipulate Soviet spies and foreign leaders, essentially a truth serum. The CIA brimmed with other ideas too, but director Alan Dules complained that there wa weren't enough human guinea pigs to try these extraordinary techniques. Remember that from the baby harvesting story? The lack of test subjects drove the CIA to wander off the ethical deep end, leading the agency to experiment on unwitting Americans. That'll come in a little later, too. About 80 institutions, 44 of them colleges, housed MK Ultra Labs. There, the CIA toyed with drugs like LSD and heroin, testing if these substances could potentially aid in discrediting individuals, eliciting information, and implanting suggestions in other forms of mental control. 
The CIA tested LSD and barbiturates on mental patients, prisoners, and addicts. It also injected LSD in over 7,000 military personnel without their knowledge. Many suffered psychotic episodes. Wonder fucking why. The CIA tried its hand at erasing people's memories, too. Project Artichoke tested how well hypnosis and morphine could induce amnesia, and when the CIA wasn't trying to develop a memory-killing equivalent to the neuralizer for men in black, it studied Chinese brainwashing techniques. Project QK Hilltop examined ancient mind-scrambling methods to make interrogations easier. In the wake of the Watergate scandal, the CIA destroyed hundreds of thousands of MKUltra documents. Only 20,000 escaped the shredder, and the CIA shifted its efforts from mind control to clairvoyance. That's astral projection for those of you who aren't in the know. In the mid-1970s, it launched the Stargate Project, which studied the shadowy phenomenon of remote viewing. That is, the CIA investigated if it was possible to see through walls with your mind. The project closed in 1995. A final memo concluded, even though a statistically significant effect has been observed in the laboratory, it remains unclear whether the existence of paranormal phenomenon remote view or remote viewing has been demonstrated. This is where we get movies like Red from, people. <laughs> this is where we get games like Fear from. But it's not just fucking media. I mean, I'm relatively sure that you can't open up a Hellgate with acid trips, but, you know, I've never had a bad trip, and I've never taken acid, so maybe I just need to unlock my potential. And, and like, all this stuff, there's sprayed toxins and bacteria in, in in fog over major cities. I've talked about that before, and it's happened a shit ton of times. And and the same the same government that's doing this is geoengineering now under the guise of preventing fucking global warming. Oh yeah. Definitely the people we should trust to be spraying shit in the atmosphere. Using giant planes with patents for barrels that dump powder. Good and of course, you know, then on the same article that I just read you, there's also a part to this list that says that nuclear radiation can uh, stick with you for a really long time. I wonder how they found that out. Oh, right. They harvested babies. And, you know, when they're not doing that, they're inspiring wars with lies like Operation Northwoods, which was probably one of the only ones that didn't get accepted to lie us into conflict. And, and getting us to believe it by implanting CIA journalists in the media. Fake journalists designed to get the masses to believe exactly what pe the government wanted them to. And what do we get out of this? Out of the, the military spraying biological chemicals over San Francisco and many other major cities? What do we get out of sick cultists connected to things like Bohemian Grove? Well, let's look at what Stratfor has to say. <clears throat> By reading this Business Insider UK article, 
Stratfor has 11 chilling predictions for what the world will look like a decade from now. I'm going to keep this general. I'm just going to read you the headlines. I'm almost out of time. I've been screaming into this mic for nearly an hour. Russia will collapse. <laughs> and the U.S. will have to use its military to secure the country's nukes. Germany is going to have problems and Poland will be one of Europe's leaders. There will be four Europe's. Turkey and the U.S. will have to be close allies, but for an unexpected reason. China will face one huge problem, which, to sum up what they have to say right now, they're basically saying that China uh, doesn't isn't liberal enough to uh, care for its poor, and it's also not liberal enough to care for the expanding population on the coast, so it's probably just going to increase its government oppression, uh, which is going to increase the likelihood of political unrest, which might result in fucking huge rebellion. Which, good! Japan will be Asia's rising naval power. Who to thunk? Uh, the, South the South China Sea Islands won't start a war, but there's a catch, which is basically that... Uh, the Chinese and Japanese will both be interested in acquiring these and in preventing each other from having them. Um, <laughs> there will be 16 mini-Chinas, which, of course, um, <sighs> and they say Mexico, Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic, Peru... Ethiopia, Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, Bangladesh, Myanmar, Sri Lanka, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, the Philippines, and Indonesia could see improving economic fortunes over the next decade as more manufacturing jobs arrive. And, by the way, get ready for fake skies, all of those people, because you're going to need them to maintain morale. U.S. power will decline. Oh, shit, really? Because not like they've designed their power to be globally reaching and they could deploy that power just by calling in political favors. No, they need their own power here. Watch the other hand. And if you need even more proof that the U.S. government is a group of fucked up individuals and not at all your ethical buoy, maybe just understand that in in the Prohibition era, they encouraged alcohol manufacturers to make their alcohols actively deadly so that if they were drunk and used for anything other than uh, antiseptics and medical shit, that people might die. And they thought, ah, oh, four or five people, that's fine. But then 10,000 people died. And then maybe think back to that Clinton administration report and think that Hey, he was just killing 30,000 people in Sudan because he destroyed a pharmaceutical factory they relied on and also killed the people inside to start off the mayhem. Mmm. These people are ethical fucking saints. My point is this, okay? We can't trust these people. We never fucking should have. And it's time to stand up against these motherfuckers. I really wanted to elucidate this time during this episode that these people are not your allies, no matter who you are. 
And you cannot vote in peace and prosperity. You have to build it for yourself. This is, this is a truth that people need to understand and a truth that I'm sure I can help with as long as I continue to spread this sort of truth. But one person is not enough. 100,000 people aren't enough. One million, one billion aren't enough. We need the planet to stand up against these motherfuckers and realize that we're sheep being controlled by evil people who will not stop before there is a huge amount of death and destruction in their wake. So listen to Moment of Rage next week while I continue the saga and smash the state by educating and by building up your resistance. This has been Jeremiah Harding signing out. White collar criminals chillin' on the block. White collar criminals chillin' on the block. Wall Street, DC, CNN, Fortune magazine, man, where does it end? The white collar criminals chillin' on the block. The white collar criminals chillin' on the block. Wall Street, DC, CNN, Fortune magazine, man, where does it end? This is a call to those who wanna fight back. This is a call to those who wanna fight back. As your planes lead the charge, we only need to look the history to see the power of the people. And suits, Wall Street thugs ransack the country in the daylight. And if you ask anybody, they don't care, they don't see, and that's the way they want to be. New Coliseum, MTV, BT, Rally TV, size being dumped down. What's that sound? It's not the sound of revolution, it's the sound of confusion. Petty trash talking all the while, nothing's really getting better. You can't just vote and walk away, we gotta keep these cats in check. Cause as soon as they get that seat of power, they never hear the people, they only hear the dollar. Lobbyists saddle hands of the government Pharmaceutical companies, big banks Private interest groups, they steer the agenda It's time to rally, it's time to roll It's time to stand up and take control It's time to move, it's time to go If not for ourselves, future generations Across the nation, 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 nation. Across the world, 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 world Justice must be won, won. Justice must be won, won. Congressman Paul, thanks for joining us. Good, good to be with you. Uh, Chairman Bernanke has uh, said that your bill could revoke the independence of the Fed. Is that your in intention here? <laughs> that wouldn't be too bad of an idea. Why should they be independent? Independent to them means secrecy, do whatever they want, spend trillions of dollars, bail out their friends, make deals with international bankers, with other central banks and other governments. Uh, no, they, they, they should never like to do that. We, need, we, have, we have an obligation as members of Congress to protect the people and protect the value of the money. So to do that, you have to know what the Fed is doing. Best believe they're gonna take me out. FBI, CIA, got a task force just for me. Character assassination if they can't take me down. 5.56 rounds, Coco 13 style. Sharpshooter Jason Bourne, I'm hardcore still writing on the floor, flat jacking it all. Bunk it up, ready to fight, stand up for what you know. Do what's right, I said, stand up for what's right. Come on, stand up, it's time to fight, let's go. The white collar criminals chilling on the block. The white collar criminals chilling on the block. Wall Street, DC, CNN, Fortune Magazine, man, where's it in? The white collar criminals chilling on the block. The white collar criminals chilling on the block. Wall Street, DC, CNN, Fortune Magazine, man.
Power to the people.